This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen was a high-adventure radio program which aired on Mutual from July 3, 1947 to February 14, 1948. Fairly short run. It featured Elliot Lewis as the sea captain Philip Carney and Ed Max as the supporting character Red Gallagher. Other actors that starred on the program include William Conrad, John Denner, and Ben Wright. The radio program is said to be somewhat similar to Star Trek. As for every episode, there's an opening and closing entry. Other similarity is that, being an adventure show, the characters sail to different places, meet different people, and get into various troubles. Story and production-wise, The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen is regarded to be one of the best radio shows of its time. Each episode opens with an entry from the ship's log. Arriving at an exotic port of call, the captain and first mate would go ashore and immediately run into trouble with local authorities, agents of rival merchants, or desperate women in need of rescue. After some investigation and at least one good fight, they would solve the problem, get back on the ship, and sail away. Tonight, we hear the episode, Jewel Thieves. Entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, Master. Position, 112 degrees, 32 minutes east, 21 degrees, 6 minutes north. Wind light, sky fair. Remarks, departed Hong Kong, China, 9 p.m. after breakdown in schedule. Reason for delay, the jewel thieves and the straw-filled dummy. My main purpose when the Scarlet Queen slipped past Stonecutter's Island and into the teeming harbor of Hong Kong was to locate my Chinese boss, Kuji Kang, or at least to get some word of instruction for the charter voyage that had brought me all the way from San Francisco. But three days passed and I had no luck. I combed the city of Victoria from the peak to Broadway on the waterfront, but the Queen idly scraped her fenders on the dock. My crew poured their money into bar tills. My chief mate, Gallagher, threatened to sign on any ship that was going anyplace. And I grew more disgusted every minute at being stuck, not knowing where to go or what to do. By the end of the fourth day, I didn't care. I didn't care about anything but relaxing and forgetting. I started with a small bar on the waterfront, and by the time I graduated through the British Club, the Hong Kong Club, the Commercial Club, and four out of every five non-club bars I passed getting from place to place, 
I had almost succeeded in forgetting. I swung into the Emperor Hotel, crossed the lobby peopled by a scattering of stiff-backed crown colonists, and made the doorway to the bar to look for a table. I stopped. She was sitting alone with an untouched drink in front of her. She looked up at me, her face set and cold. Her eyes flashed away for a second back. Then she smiled, stood up, and came to me. Oh, darling, there you are. I've been waiting so long, I didn't know what to think. Oh? You're so late. We'll have to rush to get dressed in time for dinner. Come on, I have the key to our room. I stopped thinking it was the new Hong Kong approach when she took my arm to swing me back into the lobby. Her nails dug in, and her arm and the body behind it were shaking. The plea in her eyes gave me the rest. She was scared, stiff, and she needed me. We turned around and walked out into the lobby. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. led me across the lobby without another word, her nails still digging through my coat sleeve, her arms still shaking. When we stopped to buzz for the elevator, I looked back. A very erect, thinly built man was coming out of the bar. His walk was mincing. He stopped by a pillar and looked at us while he put a cigarette in the middle of his mouth with graceful fingers, lit it, and flourished the match delicately to the floor. A powerfully built little five-by-five walked up and joined him. They were still watching us when the elevator took us out of sight. The room was at the front of the building on the third floor. Here. She handed me the key to unlock the door. But when it closed, everything drained out of her. She slumped down on the edge of the bed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm so frightened. I... Now, take it easy. You want to try a drink or something? A glass of water. Sure. I hear you. Thank you. I, I, I can't hold Here, it. Here, I'll hold it for you. Thank you. <laughs> Better? Yes, I think so. Who was your sylph-like little friend downstairs? His name is... Neil Gaynor. The other one, five by five? I don't know what his name is. They really knock you to pieces, don't they? Neil says he's going to kill me. Why? They were going to follow me out of the bar, and I don't know why. I swear I don't know. They want something from me, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what they've done to my husband. Where is your husband? Neil says he's dead. He says he's dead, and I'm next. <laughs> Please. Now, this is no time to cry. You're all right. I've no right to ask you. Could you stay with me? Please, don't leave me. It's been my fortune to only occasionally see a woman cry as she did, because she had to. It wasn't an act. It wasn't a gain sympathy. It was a cry of complete, terror-filled desolation. Oh, oh, oh. 
She quit shaking. A long time after that, she got up, went into the bathroom to put some cold water on her face. I'm awfully sorry for everything that's happened. I'm all right now, really. Please, I didn't have any right to ask you, and I don't want you to feel you have to stay here with me any longer. I don't. But you aren't leaving. No. Look, I was on hand when you needed me. You're bargaining? Believe me, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I'm taking advantage of you because you're in trouble, but if it is that, it's unconscious because I don't work that way. Maybe my world's kind of falling to pieces right now, too, and I need somebody. I'd hate to think that because I've been self-contained for a long time. You aren't going. You could make me go, or you could come with me. Where? Someplace where you could forget being afraid of Neil. Someplace where he wouldn't find us. Oh, we couldn't get out of here without being followed. I've been tailed through cities before. Pack your bags. I'm going to take you someplace. You're going to take me someplace? No one has said that to me for such a long time. It won't take me long to pack. hotel by a rear door. We shouldn't have bothered. There was enough light for me to see Neil Gaynor leaning against the building. When we got into our cab, he got into one parked behind it. We want speed, driver. Turn left at the end of the alley and I'll give you a direction from then on. The driver knew what speed meant, but his idea of threading through traffic was based on the theory of the straight line. Modified by the belief that the line would open through the snarl traffic ahead of it if he made enough noise with his horn. We crossed and recrossed the level sections of town with Neil and the other cab trailing in our wake. We paralleled the waterfront, dodged through a maze of warehouses, finally lost him. We climbed halfway up Victoria Peak, took one of the terrace roads to the left, dropped to within a block of sea level, and I finally shouted the driver to a stop in front of a Chinese flat. Right here, Charlie. The one called Connie. The year have been many, Sancho. It's time before me. We need a room for the lady, Kimiwi. It is done. Her baggage is outside by the steps. My son will bring it. Follow. Thanks very much, Kim. She crossed the room to the single window and opened the shutters to look out over the blinking, restless movement of the harbor. The maze of Kowloon's lights across the bay. And for the first time, she was smiling. Uh, they keep playing that same record over and over again, don't they? Tell me the truth. Could you tell the difference if they weren't? Certainly. I can tell the difference between one with a singer and one without. <laughs> we'll put you right up in my class. Feeling better? Of course I am. Your friend downstairs called you Connie? That's right, Phil. Phil Carney. You must have one too, huh? 
I don't want to tell you. Give me a phony, then. Tell me something. No, no, it's not that I want to hide anything from you. You just won't like it. My last name is Ainley. What Ainley? You won't like it. It's Henrietta. Oh, no. I told you. Oh, it's all right. It's a fine name, but you... Becomes you like a... Like a diving suit would. I told you. Well, it's too late to do anything legal about it. I'll call you Hank. Oh, do you think that's prettier? Hank? Not too feminine, but when you look like you do, they could call you Sam and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> so it's all right, huh? Sure. Everything is. Just for a little while, everything is all right. Don't talk about it if you don't want to. I think I do want to. It's simple enough, I guess. You see, my parents were killed out here during the war. And after it was over, I was all alone. Uh-huh. And I married Lucian Ainley. He was good to me. I don't know what he was mixed up in with Neil. I never asked him about anything. When was the last time you saw him? That was over three weeks ago. You see, our home was in Calcutta, and he, he just left one day and didn't come back. And then I got a cable to meet him here, but when I got here, it wasn't Lucian, it was Neil. And, and I, I just don't know what it all means, because the way Neil said it, I... I think he killed Lucian if, if I just only oh, knew... take it easy, Hank. If I knew what he wants hey, from... Hey, we're out of the emperor, remember? Yes. We came out here so you could forget being scared. I'm sorry, Phil. Everything is all right. Really, it is. What's the matter, Phil? Everything's... a little frightening. What, Phil? You... What happens to me? Come here, Hank. Yes? I just want your face, like this. So I can look at it. What, Phil? I wondered what makes you so beautiful. Your mouth's a little too wide. Your eyes are a little too widely spaced. Your cheekbones, a little too high. They're playing that same record again. Maybe you don't like comparisons, but this is supposed to be a compliment. There's a woman who's very important in my life. Oh? You look like her. Where is she? She's on my ship. Her name is the Scarlet Queen. She's carved from wood, and she spends all her time under the bowsprit from where she keeps a good watch on what she's leading the rest of us into. And you look like her. Do you mind? Uh-uh. I think it's wonderful. I think it takes care of everything that wasn't taken care of before. Phil, Phil, wait. All right, Hank. Phil, I... I wanted to tell you... I was scared again when you said there was a woman. I was jealous. I... I want to tell you what... What's happening to me. That... Puts you right up in my class. Oh. Then it's all right. Oh, Phil... You and your wooden woman. After I'd got Kim Yui to put me up in a room farther away from the incessant phonograph, I lay awake. Remembering that I'd started out to forget the senseless frustration that had bogged down the voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and that I'd succeeded. Hank and I didn't move out of Kim Yui's building the next day. 
We spent most of our time watching the street from the window to see if our taxi dash of the night before had really shaken off her persistent friends. Nobody bothered us. Nothing did. Because there didn't seem to be anything else in the world except this dream that had picked us up out of the center of reality. But we couldn't or wouldn't leave. out that evening and walked, holding to the darkest streets and holding hands. A light fog had rolled in to blur the lights in the harbor by the time we got back. And the foghorns were calling nervously to one another. morning we hired a taxi. It followed the winding picturesque road around to Repulse Bay. We swam in the blue water, lay on the sand in the sun, drank in the hotel bar. It was just before sunset when we got back to Kim Yui's, climbed the stairs, opened the door to find the dream invaded. The room had been ripped to pieces and it was cluttered by the things from her luggage. In the middle of it stood the slight, mincing man from the Emperor lobby, Neil Gaynor, his graceful fingers holding a small Japanese automatic. Ah, Tristan and Isolde, do come in. Neil. Neil, go away. Oh, I'll come to you. Will you really? The door, Captain Connor, close it, if you will. Dear Henrietta, you're actually blowing. What's happened to you? I must know. Please, Neil, give me just two hours. I promise I'll come to you. The power of man, really, the utter effectiveness of him. What has he wrought, Henrietta? Look, Nola, straighten up and say something. I'm losing my temper and I'm going to make you kill me to keep me from getting my fingers around that dimpled throat of yours. Phil, please, please don't, Phil. What Isolde means is that I would put out both your eyes before you took two steps. Bang, bang. I don't see how you stand the noise. My aunt to be brave. All right, my man of action. And knowing your type, I will show you how sweetly my little one speaks. Just the tip of your right ear. <laughs> you control oh. yourself, Henrietta. Turn your head, Captain. See. Just a slow welling of good, healthy blood. Just a nick. <laughs> and another one beside the first. Now, my man of action, I hope you feel some respect for my little one. And I will leave my warning unspoken. Sit down, Henrietta. Your man will remain behind you. How much have you told him? About what, Neil? Oh, you're such a young, innocent... Aren't you? <laughs> How much have you told him? I, I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How could I tell him anything? Who are you trying to impress? After all, the captain shouldn't mind if you're only a few hundred thousand pounds sterling outside the law, should you, captain? As long as you're enjoying yourself. I don't know what you're talking about, Neil. How interesting. You mean the disposal of jewels valued at 200,000 pounds was too unimportant to be discussed in your home? Neil... Do you mean my husband? I do indeed, what? and you know it. Lucian Ainley and the brilliant robbery of the Hemelian Transport Company. You believe it, or you wouldn't have flown so rapidly to Hong Kong after my cable tour. I was worried about Lucian. You were worried about the jewels. Where is Lucian? He is dead, oh. my dear. Oh. And you and your captain will be also, unless you tell me where the jewels are. Neil, I don't know anything about them. Lucian never told me anything. Believe me, I, I don't know. I will... Neil, Neil, what are you doing? Sit, Neil, you tell me the same story for 40 minutes, I'll try to believe you. I'd moved two inches closer to the chair while he backed halfway across the room. He had a thin leather belt in one hand and he held his automatic in the other. Just as his arm went back and he was briefly off balance, I dropped to my knees behind the chair, grabbed the legs and threw everything. Chair, rising girl, and my 210 pounds on him all at the same time. 
scrambled across Hank to the tangle, sprawled forward into Neil's legs just as his automatic snapped. I got my feet under me, pulled him partway up by his hair on one shoulder, gave him my right knee. I heard his breath leave him. When the pain doubled him up, I hit him just above the chin with my right I got to my feet, lifted Neil by his clothes. I took him out of the room. I stopped at the head of the stairs. And I tossed him down! What's the matter with you? Oh, are you all right? Sure, I'm all right. Oh, hold me, Phil, please. Hold me. Yes. Did he hurt you? Not very much. The devil he didn't. Phil, could we go someplace else? You mean five by five might show up now? Oh, I think so. And we aren't going anyplace else. We'll wait for him. Go get some decent clothes on. Do something with your face. You're a mess. We didn't have to wait long for our next visitor. When I heard his footsteps on the stairs leading to our floor, I hustled Hank into a corner where she'd be out of sight. I waited at the door with Neil's automatic. A funny approach, and for a split second, I had the crazy hunch that it wasn't five by five. The hunch was right, it wasn't. Skip! What the devil happened to you? Gallagher, what are you doing here? Well, I came up to... to to talk to you. What do you want, Red? Oh, I just wanted to talk to you. Don't you think this vacation has gone on long enough? What do you mean? I just want to know if you're going to turn into a Hong Kong playboy or come back to the ship, that's all. I think the least I deserve is the truth, don't you? Yes, Well, dear. I'm not thinking about myself. I'm thinking about the boys and the crew. After all, they're as much your responsibility as mine, and I'm not... Well, you... Can you come out here so I can talk to you? Yeah, sure, Red. What? Some dough was delivered to the ship for you and sailing orders from Kang. Did you open them? They were open. The next port's high farm. I was thinking if you want to stick around for a while and come down by land, I could take the queen down. Well, it's none of my business. How'd you find me? Through the police. You're mixed up with some nice hot company this time. I know it, Red. They got their clamps ready for your... your girl. And I'd like to see you get out before they shut. They've had their fingers on every move you've made since you met her. You're in deep enough, Scott. All right, Red. All right, gather the crew. We'll sail at nine tonight. <laughs> Atta boy, Skipper. There are plenty more like her where we're going. Yeah. What? What is it, Phil? Come here, Hank. Sit down. Is this goodbye, Phil? You just tell me if it is. What if I told you that Red was taking the ship and that I was going to stay here? Oh, that'd be bad for you and good for me. And we'd make it somehow. What about that 200,000-pound bundle of jewels? Would it make any difference, Phil? No. Now, what if I told you that the police here in Hong Kong are absolutely sure that you do know where the jewels are? Phil, that's impossible. Unless Neil made a sworn statement out of his suspicion. It's true, Hank. They're ready to take you. 
I... Listen, if I could draw the police away from you and give you a break... You would... draw the police away from me. You wouldn't take the break? With you drawing the police? What kind of a break would that be with you in danger for no reason at all? Phil, why are you saying all these things? To get to the real way out and to make it sound as simple as it really is. The Scarlet Queen is sailing tonight at nine and you're going with her. Oh, I could go with you? You see how simple it is? Oh, it's with you. That's all I can see. It's the way out, Hank. We'll figure the rest when it comes up, okay? Oh, okay. How can I answer that? How can I answer a question as big as my whole life? Just say sure it's okay and shut up. Better just shut up and come here. Everything's going to be all right now, darling. Isn't it? I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. You have to leave a lot of your stuff. That's all right. You can only take one bag. I'll take it down to the ship right now. Oh, you're going to leave now? I have to, Hank. Got things to take care of. Oh, yes, yes, I know you do. Yes, and you'll be back when? I'll pick you up at 8.30. Phil. Phil, oh, hurry back. I've gotten so used to you. It's about three hours, darling. We can handle that, can't we? I don't know. Hold me, Phil. Oh, yeah. Three hours. I don't know if I can get through them or not. I took her one small bag with me when I left. I got down to the waterfront without being followed and took her bag into a dive. And drank my way through the longest three hours of my life. I had to do it this way. I'd asked her if she'd let me draw the police away and she'd refuse, so I had to leave her. I had to do it my way. A quarter after eight, when she was counting the last 15 minutes to the time when we'd be together... I made an anonymous phone call to the Hong Kong police. In a quarter of nine, I staggered drunkenly aboard my ship, carrying in my arms a straw-stuffed dress. At the end of the pier, I saw the police I'd called. I walked a little slower. Then I saw him, the squat figure of five-by-five skulking in the lee of a warehouse. And I knew that in the mist, the object in my arms would pass very well to all of them as Henrietta... Hank Ainley, on her way to High Farm. We nose slowly out of the fog blanketed harbor past the invisible stonecutter's island and turned south into the steady roll of the South China Sea. The wind we picked up outside swirled gray dampness across our decks and rattled the running rigging. The miserable crew moved sullenly to their stations at the halyards. This foggy departure meant nothing to them. They hadn't known Hank Ainley. The main 
sheet moved sluggishly up the mast. And the moisture that clung to it gleamed dully in the faint glow of our running lights. To the jib sheets, men! tried his best, but the men moved like martyrs to a lost cause. And the jibs moved out, then the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen groped her way into the fog. That's a bad night, Skipper. But not much shipping down this way. I guess we don't have to worry too much about collision. Do you think so? Oh, come on, Skipper. Pull out of it. <laughs> What'd you do, fall in love or something? Shut up! Get out of here, Gallagher. Leave me alone. Hey, Skipper, climb up. What did I do? Nothing, Red. Nothing. Look at you! What's the matter with me? You got us two points off course and the mainsail is starting to flutter. That proves she wasn't good for you. Oh, look. You already got one lady in your life. That scarlet beauty under our bowsprit. Log entry. The Catch Scarlet Queen. 11.30 p.m. Miles traveled from San Francisco. 11,047. Dense fog. Wind light. Sail reduced because of bad visibility. Ship secured for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. of the Scarlet Queen has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly and a show that was first aired in 1939, the newspaper advice column. The Johnson Wax Program. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly with Donald Novis, The Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Of The I Sink. all car owners. It's very important to you that you know about Johnson's new double action cleaner and wax polish for automobiles, Johnson's Car New. C-A-R-N-U. Now, why is it important? Because Johnson's Car New takes the work out of polishing automobiles just as Johnson's self-polishing glow coat has taken the work out of polishing floors. Car New does two things at once. Both cleans and wax polishes your car in one easy operation. In the past, most people dreaded the job of cleaning and polishing their own cars. It was hard work. took a long time. Now, with the introduction of Johnson's Car New, the time has been cut in half. Why, even the women are finding it easy with Car New to give their cars a dazzling wax sheen. This remarkable double-action liquid polish dries quickly to a white powder. Wipe off the powder and behold your car shining like a mirror. All the ugly film and stains have quickly vanished without hard rubbing. Why, your family will be amazed at the wonderful change that has come over the car in only an hour's time. Get a can of Johnson's Car New before another day goes by. 
It's for sale at filling stations, auto supply stores, garages, and at your regular wax dealers. Try Car New on your own car. And then you'll understand why this new double-action cleaner and wax polish is creating a sensation. And you'll say with thousands of other motorists, your car looks like new when you use Car New. Does your girl wear an off-the-face hat when she should be wearing a catcher's mask? Do your beaten biscuits take a beaten? Are you in the doghouse with no flea powder? Then all you need is a sympathetic ear and expert advice. Just write or visit Aunt Molly and Uncle Fibber, editors of the Advice to the World-Weary column of the Wistful Vista Gazette. What was that? A fanfare. How many fans have we got? Oh, several. Well, that's fair. <laughs> and here, seated at opposite sides of a big desk in the sitting room of the Whistle Vista Gazette, we find a great pair to draw to, those two muddle mediators, Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> McGee, what do we know about advice to the world, weary? Oh, don't worry. What are we sitting in the sitting room for? <laughs> All we got to do is sit here and look wise. You ever notice the expression on a stuffed owl? Yes, but it didn't mean a thing. What you mean? It wasn't smart enough to keep from getting stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> well, shucks, I always says... Advice to the world, weary. Aunt Molly speaking. What was your trouble, sir? Oh, I see. No, I wouldn't actually forbid her to get her face lifted. Just tell her about the lady who was so full of paraffin that when her wandering boy didn't come home, she got lit and sat on the windowsill. <laughs> Don't mention it. Goodbye. Got lit and sat on the windowsill? Was that an actual case, Molly? Well, who cares? <laughs> As the three-cornered pants said to the kid, Don't pin me down. That's an interesting point right there, Molly. How can you expect a peaceful life when you get mixed up in a triangle the first time you get dressed? <laughs> hey, buddy, the advertising manager is worried. He says all the dames is wearing trousers and they can't sell any dresses. Why, of course they can't, bud. This is the slack season. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that reminds me, Molly. Buzz for the stenographer, will you? That second button there. <laughs> Heavenly days, you call that a buzzer? No, but it's more efficient. This gal used to work in a hash joint with curb service. <laughs> well, what kind of a darn fool idea have you got now? Listen, sis, a little more respect when you speak to me. Yes, sir. What kind of a darn fool idea have you got now, sir? <laughs> That's better. Oh, much better. Do you always smoke in the office, dearie? Yeah. My folks object to my smoking at home. Uh, stand up, will you, Chief? I want to strike a match on your pants. Huh? Oh, oh, sure. Ow, not so hard. Say, listen, sis, I'm drawing a map for my business column, showing the shipping centers of the world, and I need some more ink. More ink? Well, you've got eight different kinds right there in front of you. I know, but I'm ready to put in Bombay, and I ain't got any India ink. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. Run out and get some, will you, sis? Okay, Chief. Say, can I have tomorrow off? 
What for? We're giving my sister a shower. Oh, is she getting married? No, she just needs a bath. <laughs> well, I predict great things for that girl, and none of them good. Just the same, Molly. That's what makes this job interesting. Meeting all kinds of people and hearing all their troubles. Well, it's no novelty to me. Bringing me troubles is like telling Earl Sandy if he's a good boy, he can ride on the pony. <laughs> Just the same, it's a great business. Just think of the modern newspaper, Molly. Huge forests chopped down to make the paper, millions of bucks worth of mechanical devices, pictures flashed across the ocean, oh. 20 pages of current history of the world rushed to your door by swift messenger. Yes, yes, go on. Ten hours later, you find it wrapped around the garbage. <laughs> uh, good day. Are you Aunt Molly and Uncle Fibber who advise people in all sorts of problems? You betcha, bud. What seems to be the matter, sir? You see before you a very desperate man. Oh, dear. Oh, well, take it easy, bud. Remember the old saying, when you get to the end of your rope, throw it away and light another one. Yeah. <laughs> What's on your mind, bud? I am J. Bumble Busby, owner of the largest apiary in the state. Well, imagine that, an apiary. Well, that's very interesting, bud. I used to raise apes myself. Yeah. Very affectionate animals, too. Treated me just like one of the family. Well, I mind the time. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> Treated him like what? Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> but you don't understand. An apiary is where we raise bees. Oh. <laughs> I think one of them came in with me. <laughs> Surely you've heard of Busby's Honey, a wonderful product. But during the last six weeks, my sales have fallen off 83.5%. And why? I don't know. Because something has happened to the flavor. Somehow it's lost that old Busby tang. Great, <laughs> <laughs> we can't give you much advice, Busby, till we try a sample of your honey. Better bring us a couple of cones, something we can get our teeth into. I have a sample right here. Take a taste of my sample. But I warn you... It's a little revolting. Here, I'll try it, sir. Well, how's the Molly taste, honey? Or how's huh? the honey taste, Molly? Oh, terrible. But somehow it's familiar. It tastes a little something like the back of a Christmas seal. Yes, I'd say a Christmas seal of about 1913. <laughs> That's quite a problem. Sounds like sabotage to me. I'll tell you what you better do, Busby. Better bring in one of your bees for an interview. One of your old and trusted employees. Very well. Now, let me see. I'd better bring in number 1378. That'd be old Joe Hummer in the receiving room. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell the other workers I gave Joe the day off to go to the movies. Oh, do they like movies? Oh, yes. Bee pictures. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be back very shortly. Say, do you suppose he's worked his bees too hard, dearie? Maybe the honey's a little strained. <laughs> So is that, if you don't mind my saying so. <laughs> I got a hunch, Molly. <laughs> well, heavenly days, Mrs. Wearybottom. Oh, hi, Weary. Haven't seen you in a long, long time. Oh, hello, folks. I heard you were running a column giving people advice, so I thought I'd come in and lay my troubles in your lap as long as you're kind of baggy at the knees anyway. <laughs> what are you supposed to wear at a formal wedding? Well, as Aunt Molly always says in her column, Weary, for a proper wedding, you gotta have something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue. Well, I guess that explains it then, because when my sister saw her future husband in his morning coat, she said, that coat is certainly old, but the way you wear it is something new, so he borrowed something like $50 in blue. (laughs) 
Say, do, do you mind if I step out on the fire escape for a breath of air? Oh, I wouldn't do that if I was you, Weary. You see... What did you start to tell her, McGee? Oh, nothing much. Just that there ain't any fire escape outside that window. with you I never knew heaven could dance but now I do with every step another little dream comes true I always thought heaven was somewhere way up high in the sky up above I never thought heaven was Someone like you for me to love. I never thought heaven could hold such tender charms. I never thought heaven could be. Folks, that was Donald Novus, our car knew Caruso, singing I Never Knew Heaven Could Speak. Oh, and it was beautiful, Mr. Novus. I think I'll write you up in my column. Gee, that'll be swell. And maybe if I studied dramatics, I could get more lines to read on this show. Well, I don't see why not. I'd be glad if you did, Don. Give me a chance to relax. I'm just a bundle of nerves working as hard as I do. <laughs> well, why don't you learn to play, Rummy? Oh. <laughs> you uh, better try that again, Mr. Novus. <laughs> Why don't you learn to play rummy? <laughs> I ain't got time. It keeps me busy watching you shuffle the dialogue. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the trouble with him is he doesn't seem to recognize punctuation. No, but punctuation seems to recognize him. Every time he walks into a sentence, all the commas start wagging their tails. <laughs> I got to figure out what's the matter with the flavor of this honey, Molly. Say, maybe we could ask Mr. Wilcox. He's an expert on wax. Oh, but this is beeswax. All he knows is Jay's wax. <laughs> Don't you get it, Molly? I said... Ain't funny, McGee. Oh. <laughs> best I could do till the door opens. <laughs> Say, Aunt Molly, am I in time to make the next edition? Uh, with what, Mr. Wilcox? Well, I want you to print a love letter in your column. What's the matter, Harlow? One of your old flames give you the hot foot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, and I wouldn't ask you to print it if it didn't apply to a lot of people besides me. Oh, well, uh, what did you want us to say, Mr. Wilcox? Well, uh, something like this. Dear Liz, I'm terribly sorry about last night. When those hoodlums on the street corner started making wisecracks about you, I was just as angry as you were. But Liz, dear, they were right. They were right? Why, that's a fine way to talk. Quiet, McGee! Oh, okay. Go on, Mr. Wilcox. Well, after I'd taken you home, Liz, I realized I was a little ashamed of you myself. You did look dowdy. That old coat of yours looked like it had never been cleaned. But everything's all right now, Liz. I got some Johnson's car new. That marvelous new preparation that cleans and polishes at the same time. Try it tonight, Liz, after you've had your bath. Rub it all over you. Heavenly day. And wipe it off with a soft cloth. And baby, will you look gorgeous. It's wonderful stuff, Liz, but the best is none too good for a beautiful chassis like yours. Oh, sure. <laughs> now let the boys on the corner crack wise. We'll show them, won't we, Liz? Off with the old love. On with the car new. Just sign that H.W., Aunt Molly. Well, now, I don't know, Mr. Wilcox. That's a pretty bold way to write to a girl in a newspaper column. Who is this girl, Liz Harlow? As if we didn't know. (laughs) It isn't a girl. It's my old second-hand Lizzie. And is she going to be beautiful tonight? (laughs) Coming, Liz. So long, folks. Well, I hope Lizzie likes the beauty treatment. Oh, she will. Lizzie's her limousines. They're all sisters under the tin. (laughs) Uh, May I speak to Aunt Molly? Uh, Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Hi, Uppy. (laughs) Good heavens, don't tell me that you are Aunt Molly and Uncle Fibber. Yes, I are. I mean, we certainly am. Well, that's splendid, then possibly you can assist me. I wish to enter a complaint and to cancel my subscription. Oh, well, we handle complaints, Uppy. What's the matter? I demand a retraction of the insult in last Sunday's society section. Retraction of what insult, Mrs. Uppington? Why, you printed a picture of my niece at her coming out party, and the caption underneath it said, Miss Brenda Uppington, the most beautiful dub of the season. Oh. <laughs> that kind of tickled me. <laughs> Those society gals are so snooty. <laughs> I beg your pardon? What'd you do? <laughs> Why, I, what did I do? Why, I, well, uh, well, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your help. I hope I haven't been wasting your time, too. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what she meant by that wasting our time, too. I wouldn't know. <laughs> Oh, look, McGee, here's an interesting letter. It's from an explorer. An explorer? What's he say? He's just discovered an island without a World's Fair on it. (laughs) Hello there, Johnny. Hello, daughter. Got an item for the paper. Who's in charge of the cute cracks from Cunning Kitty's column? My little boy got off a nifty this morning. (laughs) Well, how old is your little boy, Mr. Oldtimer? He... She says, how old is your little boy? He'll be 62 in January. (laughs) Come in, Rance. Rance, I want you to meet some friends of mine. Folks, my little boy, Rance. (laughs) How do you do, I'm sure? Hi, (laughs) Rancid. My name is Ransom. 
Did you find out where the cute kitty's editor was, Papa? <laughs> hey! It's the fourth door down the hall. You'll know him by his sourpuss expression and a loaded shotgun. <laughs> Run along and see him, Ranch. I'll be there in a minute. All right, Papa. <laughs> Fine-looking boy, Mr. Oldtimer, and only 62. Has he got his permanent teeth yet? Nope. Get some tomorrow. <laughs> Ransom's a good boy. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see his little face light up when he goes for his first ride in a wheelchair. <laughs> Johnny, but that ain't the way. Hey, Ranch, that ain't the way. <laughs> Ranch, he said down the hall. Excuse me, folks, the kid's kind of fussed. <laughs> boy was certainly a block off the old splinter, wasn't he, McGee? <laughs> yeah, I guess he sort of... Oh, it's Mr. Busby, the beekeeper. Oh, hi, Busby. Come in. Did you bring one of your bees in for an interview? Uh, yes, I did. I got him in this little matchbox here. Come on out, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, an intelligent-looking little fella, isn't he? Hi, Joe. You mind answering a few questions? <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit. I'm trying to help your boss figure out why the honey you fellas make don't taste good. You got any ideas on the subject? Mm. Any labor troubles in the hive? Or are you fellas just getting lazy? Oh, 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 well, hold it there now. Watch your language there, me boy, or me bee. You know, we're on the air. Well, your employees seem to have the right spirit, Busby. I'll work this out from another angle. Drop in again a little later, Busby. Very well. And, uh, Mr. Hummer, next time you come to town, give us a buzz. <laughs> Good day, folks. I'm depending on you. An intelligent little insect, wasn't he, Molly? Yes, and so was the bee. <laughs> Hello, Uncle Fibber speaking. Who? Oh, the composing room. Oh, that's swell. Yeah, set it up an open face and put a four-column head on it. Okay, Billy. What was that, dear? That was Billy Mills. He just composed a swell arrangement of Mississippi mud for the four notes. Attention, Mr. and Mrs. America. Let's go to press. We'll be back soon enough with some stuff. <laughs> Band. They can time by clapping their hands. Just 
chewing on a cut when the doctor treats the feet upon the Mississippi mud. The sun goes down and the tide goes out and the doctor gather round and they all begin to shout, whoa, hey, hey, hey. Uncle Tud, it's street speech feet on the Mississippi mud and street speech feet on the Mississippi mud. What a dance do they do? Lordy, how I'm telling you, they don't need no band. Just happy as a cow, chewing on a cut when the doctor beats the feet. Folks, that was the four notes singing Mississippi Mud. And you can wipe your feet on the welcome mat after that one, kids. <clears throat> Say, Molly, I, got, I think I got it all figured out. What? What's the matter with Busby's honey? Hey, have we got a city map here? Well, there's one on the wall there, McGee. But I don't think it's very up to date. What's the matter with it? It shows four Indian teepees at 14th and Oak. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no matter anyway. I can find out what I want to know in the classified directory. But what is it, McGee? My goodness, the man will be ruined if he doesn't find out soon. <laughs> well, as the racehorse said when he come home after dark, there may be somebody ahead of me, but I think I'm on the right track. <laughs> Ah, there, lowercase. Good day to you, my dear. Have a little personal item I'd like to uh, run in your column concerning myself and a certain Abigail Uppington. What, Mrs. Uppington? None other, my dear, none other. Our engagement has been terminated. Our plans for the altar have been altered. And our turtle doves have turned turtle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the engagement's off, eh, Boomer? Well, I'm glad to hear it. Oh, what was the matter, Mr. Boomer? Were you incompatible? Slightly, yes. Slightly incompatible. But only up to the point where we hated the sight of each other. <laughs> Public best for all concerned. Yeah, certainly is best for Uppy Boomer. I warned her you were a rattlesnake, so you better get your diamond back. <laughs> wow. Careful there, single feature. You're trifling with the temper of a broken-hearted man. Just print this little item and I shall withdraw from the community and seek solace in some distant wilderness. McGee. <laughs> McGee, do you detect the delicate fragrance of banana oil? Place reeks with it. Well, give me the item, Boomer, and I'll be glad to print it. Ah, yes, the item. Have it right here somewhere. I'll put that item. Item, item, didum, dum, item. <laughs> Here's a postcard from the hostess of a party I attended recently. Said all the guests considered me quite a card. Or does that say cad? <laughs> Bad light in here. Come on, Boomer, give us the item. We're awfully busy today. Quiet, by Cusper. <laughs> Coming right up. Now let me see where I put that item. Here's the sheriff's badge. Took it off a sleeping deputy in Wyoming. <laughs> Ah, yes, it was all quiet on his western front. <laughs> well, what's this? An invitation to share a rabbit dinner with an old friend. Must send my regrets. I'm in no mood to split hairs. <laughs> Beautiful wristwatch I got from an intoxicated Italian. Hobbs Bodkins, was that Venetian blind? <laughs> Yes, indeed. Memorandum of a poker game with some hand-picked suckers. <laughs> Fish and chips. <laughs> Solid silver ashtray. Don't touch it, it's hot. A check for short beer. Well, 
well. Imagine that. No item. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Wonder what I could have done with it. I must have dropped it while I was having my picture taken. Better rush back to the police station, or to the photographers, to see if I can find it. Good day, second goal. Guy's so two-faced, he only has to shave every other day. Why, he's such a fake. Hey, 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 Molly, I got it. You got what, me? I know what's the matter with the honey. You see where Busby's bee farm is located? Yeah. Well, don't you see? Oh, wait a minute, McGee. Here's Mr. Busby now. Oh, hi, Busby. You're just in time. I know what makes your honey taste so funny. My goodness, tell me quick. What is it? What is it? Can we do anything about it? <laughs> oh, it's very simple, bud. All you got to do is move your bee farm to some other locality. What? Move my bee farm? Why, McGee? Why, remember what you said that honey tasted like, Molly? Like the back of a Christmas seal? Well, that's just what it was. What? Glue. Why? Where? What? <laughs> I say, where would my bees get glue? Well, take a look at this map, bud. Your bee farm is right next to an artificial flower factory. Next week, we're going to present... What? what? What's the matter, Molly? Oh, Mickey, I'm so glad this newspaper show is over. Oh. Gee, was it that bad? No, but it brought back memories. When I was a girl, I worked on the Peoria transcript. Oh, why, Molly, you never told me that. What kind of work did you do? I was a sob sister. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat at Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. May we suggest that when you visit the New York World's Fair, you'll be sure to see the 15 beautiful model homes in the town of tomorrow. On all the floors and woodwork of these homes, Johnson's Wax Polishes are used exclusively. Of the I Sing is from the show of the same name, I Never Knew Heaven Could Speak is from Rose of Washington Square. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. I hope you're with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.